I love it here. I love New York. Um, it's a, it's an, it's been a, it's been such a blessing and an honor to, to be a part of this organization. And uh, New York, it doesn't feel like home because it is home. Like New York for, for my family and I, it, it just means so much. And it's, uh, it's really, it's really been, a, I mean, City Field's a great place to play. I mean, the fans are super passionate and care so much. And the whole city of New York has just been uh, super welcoming to uh, my family and I. It's just been, it's, it's been an honor. I mean, it's been nothing short of an honor and it's, um, it's been, it's been awesome. So that's for me. Um, the only thing that the only thing really I've been focusing on, I just want to be the best player I can be every single day uh, for my teammates, um, for my teammates, uh, this organization and the fans. And that's that's really that's really all been all I've been trying to focus on this year. And and that's 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 really it. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, September the 24th, 2023. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and do the show up on podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. You can get me on Instagram. Talking Mets No G, and I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network, as well as RisingApple.com. Welcome to the next to last week of extended garbage time here on the Talking Mets podcast. I come to you right before the Mets take on the Phillies in the finale of their series. Uh, Gloomy, rainy, tropical depression uh, type of weekend in Philadelphia as the storm has made its way up the coast, so... Typical of the feelings of being out of a pennant race, fighting for one of the last six slots to be in the lottery. I mean, basically, that's what the Mets are playing for. A lot of people rooting for them to lose, for the Mets to get in the lottery. Uh, The perfect backdrop for what you feel when it comes to this Mets team. But there is some stuff to talk about. And as I've said week in and week out, it's really a blessing when it's covering the Mets because these kind of shows could be tough. But for a team that's fighting for the lottery, the final six spots, there's a lot going on. You heard coming in, Pete Alonso and a Pete Alonso extension. That's the first one of the first big decisions by David Stearns. Buck Showalter and his leadership, that came to light over the last week, especially with comments from Tommy Pham in an article at The Athletic. Season tickets going up. Saw a lot of discontent on Twitter from that. I'll talk about that. And joining me in just a few to give a little state of the match, someone who's around the team, does great work for The Athletic. Will Salmon will be joining me, and Will will uh, chat about those things. Buck, Tommy Pham's comments, Pete Alonzo contract extension, maybe get some feel what he thinks about the kids, the starting pitching that's fighting out for the back half of the rotation, so on and so forth. So, But let's start with the big news, and you know that's Pete Alonzo. And signing Pete Alonso. What's funny when I heard the report from our friend from Sports Illustrated, Pat Ragazzo, that Alonso's looking for a 10 year deal, I laughed because I said, you know, go back to the preseason, late January, early February, when we were in those post hot stove, post Korea nonsense, 
doldrums as we were sitting around waiting for the Super Bowl to be played and then pitchers and catchers to report. And I said back then that Pete Alonso would be looking for a 10-year deal. I predicted that he'd want, you know, close to $30 million a year, maybe a $300 million deal, looking at some of the contracts that an Aaron Judge got, the kind of money that was thrown at Correa before his physical came back uh, not so good. And, and, you know, look, we could sit here and we could pick on Alonzo. First baseman, average to, you know, maybe slightly above average or slightly below, depending on how you look at it. Defensively, right-handed power bat, has shown some regression in certain areas offensively. This year, he's striking out more than he has in the last few years. His batting average is down into the 220s. Actually, even in September, as he chases 50 home runs here, he's hitting only 207. So for the majority of the year, Pete has languished in that Dave Kingman territory, Joey Gallo territory, where, you know, he's a home run or nothing. I mean, it's amazing. He's only got about 18, 19 doubles on the year. Uh, you know, it's been basically a single here and there. You know, the walks when they come and home runs. I mean, it's all about the home runs. Now, make no mistake about it. They, even in the, the era of juice balls and launch angles and things like that, 50 power home run hitters don't grow on trees. And Pete, I don't care what type of ball you're playing with. Pete's a legitimate 50 home run guy. I mean, he's the forget about Kingman, forget about Strawberry. You want to put right in there, Beltron. He is Piazza. Pure power-wise, there is, in everybody else, I mean, I know Strawberry had elite power during that era, but I think Pete's power is the next level. He is uh, the most elite power hitter in team history. And if not for COVID, probably would be uh, passing potentially uh, on the list of most home runs in five years up to number two or three on that list. You know, you always get those lists, you know, Ralph Kiner's on that list, Albert Pujols, Eddie Matthews, I believe, you know, the list of most home runs in the top, in the first five years of their career, Pete's up there. And, you know, COVID probably robbed him of about, I would say 30 home runs, maybe 25 home runs. He'd be even higher on that list and challenging for the record. But alas, you know, Ryan Howard was on that list. Uh, alas, that's not going to happen. So now, you know, he's entering his walk year. There's been talk about how the Mets have shopped him around. David Stearns is taking over in about a week. And look, there's no vacation time. There's no easing into the position here for Stearns. We talked about it last week. He has some big issues to deal with, big decisions to deal with right off the bat. And I'm not talking about rebuilding the pitching staff, which desperately needs to be rebuilt. I'm not talking about diving into free agency. I'm not diving into, you know, what do they have here with these young kids and potentially some of these prospects that are making some noise in the Eastern League playoffs down at Binghamton. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about who's his manager going to be because Buck has come a little bit under fire this week because of the comments by Tommy Pham of the Athletic. And then number one, what are you going to do with Pete Alonso? Because... You know, when you start to look at everything around you and you want to talk about Pete in a vacuum, the Mets are absolutely 100% doing the right thing. Going at the deadline and seeing what value Pete Alonso has makes a ton of sense. I mean, that doesn't mean they have to trade him. And I know it drives people nuts because now every rumor is reported. Everything is out there. There's no, uh, you know, conversations that happen at a bar or privately that, you know, may never make it to the media or the fans. And there's... You know, so over the years, you know, how many deals have been discussed by elite players that could have changed franchises in the course of history that never came to fruition? They were just ideas at some point being bandied about at the winter meetings or just general conversation because 
that's what you do as a GM. You have conversations with other GMs. You look to see where there's a fit. You look to see how you could upgrade your roster and how can you maximize the value of your player wherever they are in their you know current service time. And 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 it, that that makes it out into the public and that makes it so much harder because obviously now the player has to you know talk about it. But when you look at Pete right now and you look at it in a vacuum, the Mets are doing the right thing. But when you start to add the emotional component here and you start to factor in where the Mets are at, and I told you last week, Stearns is coming in this critical, critical time because Stearns is not coming in fresh slate with Cohen as the owner from 2020. He's coming into an owner that has had to jerry-rig the front office, has had a GM leave on him because of, you know, off-the-field stuff, had a GM get himself fired because of off-the-field stuff. He's had, you know, Alderson in and out. We all know the history. He said two out of three losing seasons, and both losing seasons have gone down in such ugly ways. You know, one year they were in first place most of the year, and they collapsed in August. This year they were had the, the highest payroll in the history of the sport, and they never got out of the gate. And, they, you know, those two things sandwich in a 100-win season. So you've seen with Cohen the best and the worst, and now Stearns is coming in where there's a lot of sour taste in fans' mouth about this year. An article just came out that questioned the work ethic of the team. And, you know, season tickets are going up. You know, I looked. I got some info from a season ticket holder. I'll share that later. Season tickets are going up about, has, since 2019, pre-pandemic, you know, about 30%. Over $100 per seat per game, and you got to buy season tickets there. Um, you know, that's that's a tough investment when you look at it, 18, 19, 20 $25,000, even if you split it with somebody. That's a big chunk of your disposable income that you've got to put out towards basically, you know, entertainment. You know, that doesn't include parking and all this other stuff and going to the ballpark and taking time away from your family or your work or jamming in this game and not paying attention to something that's going on with the family. I mean, it's a big commitment. And with the Mets selling off two Hall of Fame pitchers, so far those deals look really good. The fans understood that. There was some anger at the beginning, but now you're hearing good reports about, you know, even the Robertson uh, trade, the, the the talent they got back, you're hearing some good things about. But the fans want to see a winning team on the field, and they don't want to wait five years. Stearns is not coming into a situation here where he can just say, all right, I got some time to dive into this job here in New York. And figure it out. No, off the bat, the expectations are there. And it starts with Pete Alonso because right now, how in the world, if you're Steve Cohen and you're David Stern's coming in, how in the world can you justify to the fan base and not take a hit from a business perspective, meaning lack of sales at the box office? You know, Cohen doesn't want to have in 2024, he got lucky this year. The fans bought into the, the team, the high payroll, the excitement from the offseason. You didn't really see, you know, a ghost town, uh, a cemetery type of emptiness at City Field, even towards the end of garbage time here. Yeah, during the week it's been sparse, but even the weekend crowds haven't been bad from what I've seen on TV. You know, yeah, they got giveaways, bobbleheads, ghost fork nights, whatever you want to talk about it. You know, fans are going to show up. Now, this next homestand, that's when the rubber meets the road, where school's back in session, football season on the weekends. You know, fall weather, you know, this weekend, you know, they were on the road, but this is a horrible weekend to go and sit at the ballpark. You know, this this early, this first taste of fall that you're getting here. Um, you know, 
you could really be looking at, you trade a Pete Alonso, and you effectively, even if you could maybe put together a, an overall competitive team that could compete for a playoff spot next year, this, the message off the bat is that we're retreating. And retreats could be for a year, they could be for two years. Look, rebuilding programs can take five years. It took Sandy Alderson from the minute he took over to the, to the time the Mets won the pennant in 2015. It took him five years. And they kind of had to get hot at the right time or else it would have taken even longer in Sandy's tenure. And he was blessed with some real parting gifts by Omar Manaya and, and DeGrom and Harvey. You know, yeah, he made his own deals with Wheeler and Syndergaard. And you know, he had Mats. He was inherited. You know, he was, you know, he inherited big-time pitching. And there was still some components with Wright and, and at the time Reyes and Beltran. There was still some stars on the team. You know, yeah, the Mets have their core offensive players, Pete being one of them, but you trade Pete Alonso, maybe you could get a haul. And if you do, that's one thing. But by trading him or, you know, letting this thing play out into the free agency year, which may happen depending on, you know, the request and, and how the Mets want to play the negotiations, you are sending the exact opposite message to this fan base that you've now asked year over year from what I understand, to invest more money in the team. We knew that was coming. And 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 basically forgive this year as just bad stuff happens. We pivoted at the deadline. We brought in all this talent. We're committed to winning next year. How can you say in one breath you're committed to winning? And the next breath you got Scherzer running around telling everybody they're rebuilding. You're saying, no, we're retooling just, you know, it's not a fire sale. But then you trade Pete Alonso. And I know Stearns wasn't around back in July when all this happened. But it wasn't like all of a sudden, two weeks ago, he became the apple of Cohen's eye and they started talking. You know, August 1st was the first official time. But there's ways of feeling somebody out for a job when you can't, you know, without committing overt tampering. I'm sure there was some, you know, feeling about, you know, hey, if we're recruiting Stearns, we got to at least have some kind of organization for him to come into. So this Pete Alonso decision is really going to take on way more than the usual baseball decision. Baseball-wise, guy is hitting 30 years old, power is his game. You know, he his bat slows down even a little bit as he gets into his mid-30s. That contract could look really ugly. Look at guys like Albert Pujols, Miguel Cabrera towards the end of his career, Richie Sexton. You know, these power hitters, Justin Upton, these power hitters, they go bad, especially late in their contract, like Pujols, when he signed at a similar age at 30 for a decade, it's ugly. And then they become these immovable contracts. You can't even put them in a spot. They're DHs at that point or the very expensive backups. And you got yourself a guy that, hey, could still hit a home run and excite you, but that's it. I mean, Pujols made a, a grand exit his final season down the stretch last year, finding whatever magic he could find in, in his body left. So, you know, I see no choice but Stearns and Cohen to make this happen, to figure out a way to bridge the gap. If it's years that are holding it up, well, you know what? There's got to be a way to bridge the gap and come to some kind of, you know, agreement where the AAV and the years make sense for both sides. I'm sure the Mets don't want to sign Pete till he's 40, and, and I got to think there's a way to make that up somewhere, somehow. So this is going to be really interesting. This Pete Alonso situation really is going to send a message. I will tell you, other than signing him to an extension, I know they let Diaz go to the uh, free agency. I know they let Nimmo go to free agency. 
I get it with DeGrom as well. That was inevitable. DeGrom was going to test the waters. Maybe that's the one that's the closest you can do. But think about 2019 before that season when Brody Van Wagner took over. The Mets needed to make a statement. And Brody says, my statement is, I'm going to sign DeGrom. I'm going to put an end to all this talk about trading him. And, and he signed DeGrom. And I think you got to do the same thing here. You've got to, and I don't know if it'll drag until spring training. They did the same thing with Lindor. They didn't let him get into free agency. They knew that was their guy, and they invested in him. Now, is Alonzo going to take, you know, comps of, of Olsen and Freddie Freeman and say, well, if they're making this, I need to make this in the same way? Or is he going to say, hey, look, first five years of my career, I'm up there with some of the best home run hitters of all time, like Ralph Kiner. I deserve to be rewarded for that. And my reward is a 10-year deal worth uh, $275 million. Could be that he's looking for that. And will there be somebody to give it to him? There'll be somebody to give it to him. You know there's always one owner. And then once you get to free agency, who knows whose dollars are thrown out there? Who knows what could happen? Who knows what Pete thinks about this team a year from now? You know, he says he loves New York, but, you know, another 75-win season next year, things change, you know? You want to be able to send the message to the fans that you want to lock your star up, you have your core then, your Nimmo's locked up, your Lindor's locked up, your Alonzo's locked up, McNeil, if you believe he's part of the core, is locked up. And now you've got to build around those four guys and figure out what kind of other stars slash component players can you bring in to build an, an offense that is acceptable. You know, because the, the fact of the matter is whatever you want to believe with Pete Alonzo, when he hits, the Mets win. Look at the numbers on baseball reference. The games he, they win, he's elite Hall of Fame level. The games they lose, he's significantly below league average. When Alonzo hits and he puts up a crooked number with one of his home runs on the board, the Mets usually win. And that's been the case for a while. Now, as far as Buck and as far as the comments by Tommy Pham about this is the least hardworking positional group he's ever seen, certainly an indictment on the manager, certainly sheds a light into maybe... Uh, some kind of issue that's been going on with this team. I know that we've talked about some of the hot air coming out of talk radio about a clubhouse problem. You know, and then Fam he said this odd comment, but then, you know, he, he spoke highly of Buck in other, other interviews that he's had over the last few weeks since he's been traded. You know, he spoke highly of Lindor, and, and even Lindor credited Fam for showing him, you know, another way of preparation. I think the overlooked part of that comment was, you know, everybody's assuming when he said it's the least hardworking group he's ever seen, that these guys are in the back, you know, smoking a cigarette or playing pool or playing dominoes or on their cell phones. What in reality, I guess the real question I have when it comes to preparation in the New York Mets is, is there preparation about baseball, about taking fielding practice, batting practice, working on the skills that make you better or that you need to hone or you need to keep fresh to win baseball games? Or is it in front of a computer screen or front of an iPad looking at, you know, pitch pitch verticality or spin rates or, you know, repertoire, percentage of times there's, you know, throwing this versus that or looking at your swing 52 different ways on a high-definition camera. I mean, nothing's wrong with that kind of work, but is that the kind of work that they're doing more of? Are their noses buried in the iPad? We talked about this before when the Mets struggled, especially a couple of years ago when Zach Scott was in charge. How many times would I tell you, there he is on the bench staring at an iPad. I saw that the other night. I think it was Brett Beatty. Uh, I think he had just made it out, and there he is on the bench looking at himself on the iPad. And I'm like, 
yeah, I get it. You know, you got to look at your swing. You got to see what you're doing. But ultimately, watching the game, watching the pitcher, watching how your teammates uh, approach each at bat, I mean, that's the nuance that makes you a better player and wins your baseball games. I mean, am I talking layman here? Am I talking where I'm not sounding like a scout or sounding like a high-level uh, baseball executive? Of course, I'm, I'm very much talking like, you know, the guy in the stands watching the game. But, I mean, the concept is pretty simple, and I think you guys agree with it. Is that the kind of lack of preparation the Mets have, baseball preparation, or is it just that they're lax? I think that one thing's for sure. I think it's definitely something that if I'm Billy Epler and David Stearns, as you make your evaluation going forward, which I believe by this point, they've already decided on Buck. I don't I don't think, you know, I mean, obviously Stearns is not just coming in on October 2nd and that day they're going to talk about these things and, and like rapid fire and make decisions. I mean, there's a pretty good idea of where this thing wants to go when they interviewed him and discussed things with them. They know where they want to go. I believe if Buck is going to be replaced, he better be replaced with someone who's going to be here a long time, like a Davey Johnson, like a Terry Collins, like a Bobby V. Not someone that you give a try and in two years from now, eh, it didn't work, let's try another one and try another one. The Mets have had a revolving door with this managerial position since Collins was fired. And Collins way overstayed his his welcome. So he should have been out sooner. So they would have had even potentially more of a revolving door if things were done correctly and it wasn't for the owner's... Uh, affection for Terry that saved his job more than once. Um, you know, I, I think that's the only way you fire Buck. It is fair to question how this team prepared this year. I think the real takeaway from the article in The Athletic where, you know, Fam made the comments is the Mets never really, and Buck has, and I thought about this, I think it was Joel Sherman that brought this up. The Mets haven't had a normal spring training since Buck took over as manager. First year was the lockout, so they had the truncated two and a half weeks that he had to get them prepared and started. And it worked. They came out like gangbusters after that lockout in 2022. And then this year you had the disjointed one where you have the WBC, you have the new rules changes, you lose your closer in the middle of it, which I think ripped the heart and soul out of this team. It took the invincibility where these guys knew last year. You got a lead going into the late innings. All I had to do is get three to six outs from my middle relief. And I knew I was going to win that game. So you took for granted you were going to win in the ninth inning because he was so dominant. You felt like, you know, there was a way, there was a pathway to victory every night. And as soon as you had a lead in the late innings, even though the middle relief wasn't always great, you knew if you got this to Diaz, there was the weapon. And now where you could, you know, you have more of a progressive mindset where it's if the best three hitters are coming up in the eighth inning, you're going to put your best pitcher in, meaning Diaz, you know, you could... You could mathematically stack the deck in your favor with that kind of weapon. Losing that guy, as we've talked about, was a tremendous blow. You add in the disjointedness with everybody spread around at the WBC, new rules to get over, and then just guys that just, you know, like Marte coming back and 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 just not looking right. Uh, the underperformance by guys like component players like Canna, the, the, the growing pains of an Alvarez. You know, you threw Beatty in there, uh, you know, early in the year. Bottom line, when you look at this 2023 match, you could, you know, talk to Scherzer, or talk to Fam, talk to anybody around the team. They had bad pitching from the start. They had a thinned out bullpen when Diaz went down. The hitting, which, you know, might have been a little short and needed another bat at some point during the year. Those other issues were so great. The bat the hitting never got a chance to just work itself out. 
it was amplified. And you have yourself where you're at, which is a second division club. Now, you know, what's funny is they kept that team together. They don't trade Verlander and Scherzer, and they say, ah, let's just go for it. Forget about the prospects. We might be having a different conversation. I mean, the bar is so low in the National League when it comes to the wild card. You know, now Scherzer winds up getting hurt. Verlander hasn't been great in Houston. You don't know what happens there. Obviously, the inevitability of Scherzer getting hurt. He's had so many uh, things going on with him. There were so many red flags, almost like an engine light blasting, that you knew something was going on with Scherzer all year with the little aches and pains, with the things that he was nursing. So maybe it was inevitable. But you don't know if you were even, if you know, you're talking about wild card, even though it wouldn't be an impressive record. We're not talking about any of their work ethic. We're not talking about this stuff. It just goes back to show you winning cures a lot of those ills. Now, is it the chicken and the egg? Is it the process versus outcome? I'm not sure. I don't think a Buck Showalter team was too laissez-faire and the manager was too, a guy who's known for his career to be detail-orientated and maybe too controlling and too overbearing on his players. I can't imagine a guy with that reputation doing a complete 180 and basically, you know, doing what Terry Collins used to do is basically let the veterans run the clubhouse. Maybe there's a certain amount of play he gives his veterans. Maybe he trusts them to prepare in the manner they see fit. But I don't see it as somebody that's presiding over a lazy team or a team that's not interested in putting the work in order to win. That's the exact opposite of who they were in 2022. Maybe they took for granted how good they were. You know, maybe they just figured because they're... X number of years in the league and they're veterans and they have these future Hall of Famers on their team that it would just come together. It's possible. Is all of this an indictment on the manager? Look, it was not a banner year for Buck Schulwaller. It wasn't. You know, he was in a tough spot with the kids wanting to win now and play the kids and, you know, manage a bullpen that was short. You're never going to, you know, be able to figure out how these optionable relievers like Brigham and so on and so forth can fit in the overall scheme. So it's it was a tough year. It's a tough year for Buck. Pretty damning comments. I think there's some nuance of the comments that we're not privy to. It's easy to take Fam's comment, blast it into a tweet, and start making assumptions about, well, who is it? Who's the one that's not the hard worker? I, you know, it may not mean that they're not working. It's the type of work that Tommy Fam believes positional players should do. I think that's what it comes down to. And some people are new school who believe in iPads and spreadsheets and data points to help you improve, you know, video. And then there's old school guys that are like, let's just get into the batting cage and put the work in. Let's just, you know, take more reps. Uh, is one right and one wrong? I mean, I have my thoughts and opinions. I'm not a professional player. Of course, others have their own thoughts. So anyway, let's hear what Will Salmon has to say. Big things ahead. David Stearns takes over in just a week or so. And let's face it, he's going to get he's going to hit the ground running. There'll be a press conference. Tough tough questions are going to be asked of him. Who's going to be the manager? What's going on with Pete Alonso? And oh by the way, you have a bunch of kids and pitchers that are trying out for positions in 2024. Look at all these question marks. How are you going to fill them? Are they going to be filled internally, externally? What's going on with free agency? There is, let me tell you, October 2nd he takes over, I guess, is the date. That Monday after the season ends, October 1st. Um, is that when it ends? Is that where we're going to go? The first day when the season ends, David Stearns is going to be asked a ton of questions, and he better have the right answers, and the Mets are going to need to hit the ground running because the fans have no patience. They're not paying more money. and not paying 30% more for their tickets to see what they saw this year 
for any length of time, even with an executive that they believe can bring into the promised land, who comes with a little bit of equity, who's the darling of the media, you know, hit the ground running. David Stearns is going to be expected to compete, win, and execute at a high level. No excuses from day one. It's a tough job. We talked about that last week. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll salmon of the athletic right after this. What's spring like in Park City, Utah? Imagine waking up on a bluebird day to ski the greatest snow on earth at two world-class resorts, Park City Mountain and Deer Valley. Exploring miles of wide open spaces by snowshoe or cross-country skis. Wandering our historic Main Street with its opera ski scene and award-winning restaurants. When you love it like we love it, Park City, Utah will always be winter's favorite town. Join the experience at visitparkcity.com.